Oh, customer service, I'd explain what happened. It, the sale was over, so then it was like all this jumping through hoops, refunding, reordering. I ordered another pair. The right size was supposed to come on t before I left. Box arrived. I was very excited about this. I opened it up, and these were in the box. Go-go go, go boots. I didn't, I wasn't ordering those. And they wouldn't fit anyways. They're not, they weren't 14s. Go-go boots. I actually had to look up go-go boots just to be sure I wasn't going to say something like offensive. <laughs> Apparently it derives from a French expression that means joy and happiness. Well, this was not achieving that for me. It's just the opposite. I just, I remember through this whole process, it was just days and weeks of just kind of waiting, just thinking like the incompetence, like what is wrong with people, the, the stewing and complaining and grumbling. My disgust and frustration was made clear, um, spent time with customer service and everything else. Now, now get it, hindsight, looking back, right, this, we, this is first world problems, right? This is, this is not, you know, it's not lost on me. But in the moment, my heart was exposed in my complaint, in my grumbling, and made all where, as is often, where my heart is prone to this type of sin. Now, another story, another story, a story of expectations, challenge, and a response in complaint. And this is far removed from me, um, and it's actually far removed many years from Paul in his writing to the Philippians. But if we go way back, we go back to history of Israel, and they have been enslaved for 400 years under wicked pharaohs, God's chosen people, his beloved, God sends a deliverer to them, Moses, and he's, God sets them free from this evil enslavement, but God's miracles through the different plagues, and this last one of the shed blood of lambs, they are set free, they're they, God leads them into the wilderness. He's, he's promising this promised land. He's making his covenant with them. And the hearts of Israel were not in a good place. We see numerous accounts in the midst of this. They're, they're grumbling. They're complaining about circumstances. They're complaining about Moses' leadership, their situation, their, the food they have to eat. And after hearing about this report from the spies that went in to, to scope out where they were commanded and to go into what they call then a bad report, uh, fear and worry hits them. And this is what Numbers captures for us, chapter 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, what that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Would it not be better for us to be, go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They, they wanted to return to slavery. Other accounts, of the, it says that the rabble complained, and they said, oh that, we, oh, that we had meat to eat. Remember the flesh we had in Egypt, the cots, nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, and now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now, Scripture tells us that the seriousness of this, this quarrels and these complaints were, were not against Moses ultimately. They were against God himself. God communicates that to them. Moses says, your grumble is not against us, but against the Lord, Exodus 16, 18, 16, 8. 
They, they tested and they challenged God. They lost sight of the deliverance and the grace and the covenant and all that God was giving them in his rescue and in his promises. These situations turned out so very serious that it led to God's judgment. Some died, destroyed by serpents and by fire. Grumbling is no joke. Grumbling against God is no light matter. And we will see that the destructive power of grumbling and the need to remember and hold to God's gracious deliverance is the backdrop of where Paul brings our command in in today's text. Paul has, through his letter so far, shared his example of suffering with rejoicing and spoken to the hardships and identified the struggles within the church, their need to stand in testing and in unity as a church, calling them to be humble, sacrificial, one another preferring and serving, holding out Jesus as the ultimate example of this and the one who provides power to walk and live and become like Jesus. As we looked at last week, the very direct charge there to work out this salvation that is already theirs, not to get salvation, but to live out of what God has been doing by God's working and his willing in them. And now Paul turns to a specific way, shape, an example of this working out of their salvation in Christ. Remember, Paul is working hard, laboring hard for them to, to know the Christ that he knows and he loves, to know the joy of Christ that he experiences that he wants them to live out of. He knows this joy in Jesus will lead to sacrificial and contented living. And this, this is our aim today. We're going to see that the that joy-filled knowledge of Christ leads to a content and a contagious life. Content and contagious. So let's read our text this morning and then we'll, we will pray. Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be poured, I may be poured that I, I, I'm sorry, the day of Christ, uh, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Join me as we pray. Lord, we, we come to your word today expectant that you will speak to us through your holy, holy word. Uh, these commands written down by the pen of Paul and inspired by the spirit for this church, we, we know there's relevance for our own heart and, and particularly uh, a call and a command to, to address an area of our hearts that we are all prone to, that we all fail to do rightly. And so would you let us hear by the Spirit and let us, let us be empowered by your grace this morning to, to look to you, Jesus, and to, to, be, to be made like you, that we would find more joy and gladness in our Savior today. Amen. So a content life. Here's a command. Do all things, all things, do all things, do all things. Do all things, do all things. 
without grumbling or disputing, or in our text, the ESV, questioning. Do all things without grumbling, complaining, murmuring. This is reflective of this, you know, onomatopoeia, where, like, where the word actually kind of forms a sound which connects to sort of the definition, like grumble and grumble, a murmuring, murmuring. So it's just, it, 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 you feel it, right? Or disputing, uh, arguing would be another word, this idea of debating in ways that are divisive, always, always questioning, never satisfied, antagonism. The disdoing of doing all things points back to this working out that, that Paul references in our previous text. And it's very clear the connection here, they would know this echo to Israel's history that we just considered. See, the Philippians were facing things that were unexpected and hard and loss of freedoms and threats of persecution. And Paul wants them to cling hard to the gospel and want to one another together as, as a community. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 27 we keep returning to this because it's really important as a, as a launching pad to all that Paul's talking about. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. He says, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So the Philippians, like Israel in the wilderness, are experiencing pain, something Fearful is present. There's temptations to not trust God or be frightened, even though he is faithfully providing, faithfully taking care of them. So with what's going on, there are opportunities to give into sinful grumbling. Look, look, what's, look what's happening to us. Look where we are. And even in Israel's struggle with Moses' leadership, we know there have been struggles with unity within the church that Paul is addressing. Could there be some that have problems with Paul's leadership? Paul, thank you for your great example for us, and look what that has gotten us into. Or some leaders that maybe are right there in Philippi in that church. So Paul is saying, don't, don't end up like Israel. You know what happened to them. You know its impact on their community. Your complaints go beyond just your little community. They, they, they are voiced to God as much as you don't think they are. So do all things without grumbling and disputing because grumbling and disputing will be destructive. It doesn't just stay contained. It's just not like isolated to you. It spreads. It's impact on others. Okay? Come on. Sunday mornings. Families. Right? (laughs) We got to get going. Everyone out the door. Billy knocks over the milk jug and spills it all over the place. Why do we have to get up so early? Where is Susie's socks? Whatever, just, they just increase in it, and it just doesn't just stay contained to one person. At least it doesn't happen to my family. Maybe your own. Disputing, arguing, impacting the whole. And those, these things that we can just dismiss as little sins are present, and they, they are beyond just little. We, we know these. We, we, they manifest uniquely at, for some of us in certain categories. For me, it, it can be a desire for order. S- simple things is around the house, where I put something in the cupboard, where that pan is in the cabinet. Where, where did it go? Murmuring, disputing. My displeasure, on a is just flowing from me. 
Technology is another one. When something doesn't do what it should do, application or a device, that really upsets me. God has used this as a means of sanctification in my life because I've had to be around technology quite a bit. So something stops working on application, an app, and I have to call tech support to figure out what's going on. And tech, tech support tells me after 50 years of history, uh, uh, this has never happened. They, they have no record of this ever taking place whatsoever. And I'm the first one to discover that thing. You see, there's still some sanctification going on there. I took opportunity this weekend just to ask my wife and some of my kids, I like, quit. Where, where do you... What do you see? How does complaint come out in my life? Um, I'd encourage you to ask a friend, ask your spouse, ask your children to, to bring some discovery to your life because it's there. It's present and we need to see it. We need to, we need to deal with it. If we do think it's serious, if we do think this is a command of God, then, then we do need to ask questions of our heart. See, the reality is these complaints and grumblings are heart issues orientated towards God. They, they flow from areas of self and pride because it's what I think I deserve or what I don't think I deserve or what I think is best or what I think is right in my estimation that has gone wrong. I can't dismiss it as something little or just preference, but I need to see it as something serious. One, because it's a command of Scripture, and, and two, we, we need to recognize the destructive power that that has, not just for my own heart, but for others. In, in my grumbling, in my murmuring, either in my head or out loud to others, I'm communicating not simply something's wrong with me or my world, but, but I think something's wrong with God, with his activity. If he is the one who's truly willing and working all things, then my mumbling and grumbling is communicating something about God not being good. Something is wrong with him. That maybe I am wise, or I am right, or I know what I deserve, and that's, this is ultimately discontentment in God himself. Discontentment in our lives was certainly exposed through our COVID season. I know it was for, it, it rattled all of us, like it shook the status quo, it, it, it took away things that we felt were our comfortabilities that we took for granted, but, but it's not just COVID, it's just not there always is going to be something, something that's going to rattle us, something wrong, either provoked by a pandemic or the price of eggs, right? <laughs> the problem is not simply we don't receive the right shoe delivery, it's that we, we, or that we end up with a bad boss, or the car keeps breaking down, or there's traffic, or I have this chronic pain, or a broken relationship, and these things are, are meaningful, and God cares about them, but those things in our minds that are wrong we, we, we justify the complaint. And we justify it because we, we see them and we view them as something detached from God. And that's where we err. They are attached to God. And, and in that, we, 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 we seem to overlook the biggest issue, the biggest problem that was wrong. The, the largest dilemma that was needed by a sovereign and powerful God to act on our behalf. What was that? that? That was to save us from a very dire situation. It's what Israel forgot to see. His grace breaks in through and in the rescue of Jesus and God's willing and working on our behalf for his good pleasure and purposes and frees us from an enslavement to sin and self and death and Satan that we, that, that we could do nothing about that he did on our behalf. 
And because that happened, we get Christ. We get his grace. We get eternal joy. And because we have Jesus, we can then put each thing, all things, all things in life in its proper place. The why, the matter, what the purpose of all this. And we, and we know that is translating and coming from the eternal purposes and plans of God for his good, for his good pleasure, for our good, and for our joy and our, the sanctifying work that he's doing in our life. He provides the reason and the power to turn our complaining and murmuring to thankful joy, to contented rejoicing. This is why Paul has been speaking endlessly, endlessly from the beginning, his, his hope in the gospel, their partnership in the gospel, rooting them in Christ, his joy in Christ, their need for Christ, living and dying in Christ. Root yourselves, Philippians. Christians, root yourself in Jesus. This is the key in verse 16, I think, that he draws attention to, not grumbling, not complaining, but holding fast to the word of life. It's another word, way to say holding fast to the gospel. Remember, this is all flowing from that Christ hymn that, that Paul had just came out of, this, this place of, he just like he broke out in spontaneous worship. He couldn't help but just be mesmerized what Christ has done. Our hearts are kept by the gospel, all its beauty, all of the power, all that Jesus has done. And when our hearts are tethered to that, what matters most, it grounds us and it gives us perspective and the things that go wrong in our life that we would want to complain and grumble about. And Paul is such a helpful example because he he saw Christ as his ultimate treasure. He writes later in chapter four, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul learned, get it, this is a process to be content. The, the, the capability to not grumble and not complain. That being, being low, like Jesus, he knows and has Jesus, and he can be content because he has Jesus and he's following Jesus and not grumble when he's hitting the bottom. Not grumble when he's hunger, hungry. Not grumble when he's in need. In all circumstances, he can do all things without grumbling and disputing because he has Christ. Christ is in him. Christ is with him. Christ can strengthen him in that. Israel missed seeing what they had, and we neglect to see what we have. That's why we grumble. That's why we complain. Discontentment is always looking for more and what's wrong and neglecting to see what we have in Christ. Contentment, trust in God, we, we move trust in God and we say, though this is hard and I don't understand, I can still find peace, I can still find thanks, I can rejoice in the Lord, not because of these circumstances, but because I know that God is for me and with me and I have Jesus and I have the greatest gift, Christ himself. Amen. The war against disputing and grumbling hearts is hope-filled, joy-filled knowing, deeper knowing, ongoing knowing of Christ. It's holding fast to the word of life, to Jesus. So do all things without complaining, grumbling, and disputing and arguing because of what we have in Jesus. This joy-filled knowledge of Christ then provides, it, 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 it goes outward. It, it, is, it is a witness to a world. It's missional. It's, it's contagious. Look at verse 15, that you may be blameless 
and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So as, as Christians hold fast to the gospel, a contented life in Jesus, the result is a, a witness, a, a contagion, a good one that spreads, shining forth through God's people. This this shine as lights is, is literally like this word is lights in the heavens, stars. So you, are, you, are, you are in the backdrop of a, a dark night sky and there is illuminating in the midst of this dark thing around you. This crooked and perverse or twisted or crooked generation. It's a, it's a reference to Deuteronomy. He keeps pulling us back to this reality of Israel. In the context, Israel failed to live rightly in God's ways and, and, are, and were referred to as the crooked and perverse generation. Paul reframes it and now says that the church community, now the redeemed, should be in stark contrast to the pagan, twisted generation of the world around them that does not know God, that does not know Christ, that does not know this hope or this joy or this security or this provision or this love. It should look different. This was always God's expectation and promise for Israel, that they would be a light Isaiah prophesied, Isaiah 49, I, I will make you a light of Israel, a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth, Isaiah 49, 6. Israel, God's chosen, were to be the light and witness to other nations based on their covenant with God. They failed to do that, but Isaiah prophesied of a hope of a suffering servant who would come and in all their failings make that possible in them based on what he does. So now Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, our suffering servant, through his gospel and in his people, God's grace shines through them to all nations and peoples around them. This light is Christ himself, but it's also in them observing the ways of the Christian life, the way we live, the way we respond to our circumstances, because we become like Jesus in that. If you were here last week, we talked about the importance of understanding justification and sanctification, that we were justified, our righteousness comes because our sins have been given and counted to Jesus and his righteous life has been counted to us as our own and now we live a, a sanctifying life out, showing forth, growing, becoming more like Jesus by obeying. And so by obedience in Christ, we shine forth his likeness. This is this, this blamelessness, this purity, this, this without fault that is, is being displayed. displayed. This doesn't mean that we will be sinless in that, but that our pursuit and growing into Christ's likeness is a witness and one to be pursued. Therefore, our grumbling and complaining hinders this shining forth, this testimony. By contrast, our joyful trust and contentment in Jesus is a magnificent star to the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And those who follow him don't walk on darkness, but they, they have the light of life. John 8, 12. And by virtue of Jesus being in us, he tells his disciples, you now are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. Paul was a beautiful example of this. Good works and suffering. He's in prison in Rome. He's there with the imperial guard around him. And he, he's rejoicing in his suffering. And that light is shining through and people are hearing the gospel and some of these soldiers we, just, we heard earlier in the letter are being converted and saved. 
Remember Paul and Silas right here in Philippi in prison, many years prior, singing in chains after being beaten and bloodied, shining forth. People get saved. This church gets, gets planted. Next week, we're going to be looking at a couple more examples that Paul draws our attention to that's just going to be really wonderful. Timothy and Epaphroditus, shining forth. No better song that comes to mind than one of the greatest CCM songs of all time, Shine by Newsboys. <laughs> Shine, make them wonder what you've got. Make them wish that they were not on the outside looking bored. Shine, let it shine before all men. Let them see your good works and then let them glorify the Lord. But, but it's not that just, they're just bored. They're, they're in darkness. Yeah. And we shine a light, the light of Christ, based on how we live and how we respond that, that the world needs. And we can because we are children of God. We know because we are connected to him that all that he does, all that we will face, whatever wrong in our mind comes, small or big, God is using for his eternal purposes. This is why Paul directs their attention forward to this day of Christ. We talked about it earlier during worship. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He wants them to keep shining, keep holding fast to the gospel so that he can boast about what God's grace has done in them in the day of Christ. Paul's already prayed this for them. This is just hard for them. In chapter 1, verse 10, that they may prove what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of of Christ. He wants them to finish well. He wants to finish well as a pastor for them. Jesus returns that, that his serving was not in vain. They were his beloved friends. He loved them. He knew that this could be a crippling reality if they didn't move towards Christ with this area. His running, his sweating, his laboring, he wants to be a good steward and honor God of that, in that, and he counts it a privilege to suffer on their sake for their joy in the Lord, even if that requires his life. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. This draws attention to the Old Testament worship of the sacrifices. It, out of his contentment in Christ, his joy to serve and suffer for them, just as Jesus did, he would be poured out as a drink offering. It's a picture that both Greek people and the Jews would, would understand where a priestly duty would pour out a drink in, uh, in honor of worship for the Jew. After a sacrifice is made, the completion of that sacrifice, there would be a, a drink offering, a drink of a wine poured upon, upon it. He's okay. He's okay to die. He's okay to die even death or martyrdom, because he wants it to be sacrificial to God in behalf of others, because he knows eternal joy is the goal. Yeah. Verse 18, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. People who are glad and joyful in God, it's hard to complain. He is glad and he is rejoicing because he has Christ. And he wants them to be glad and rejoicing because they have Christ. And because they, their future, completed joy, is, is ahead. This isn't, this isn't the end. I mean, as I read this, I think, is it possible to have this kind of joy? I think it is. I think it is. I, I think God would not call us to something if that would be impossible. 
Christ transforms us. He, he has the power to transform self-oriented, proud Debbie Downers and negative, selfish Neils into humble, content, joyful people who witness and don't just draw attention to doom and gloom, but to the good of God that's at work redeeming in our life because we have Christ. We know Christ at work. We know all things are happening and working for that purpose. I was personally challenged by this quote I came across from Paul Tripp as he imagines. Imagine lying down at night and sleeping with a heart that was satisfied with every situation of the day. Imagine being a parent and not complaining about your child. Imagine being a spouse and not complaining about your husband or wife. Imagine being a citizen and not complaining about your neighbor or your government. Imagine being a worker and not complaining about your boss or your employee. Your only hope, or our only hope, is found in the one who came down from his heavenly kingdom to liberate you from bondage to the kingdom of self. He is our only hope to this command. And because he freely has given himself, Jesus comes and frees self-centered grumblers into humble servants who trust in Jesus and can find contentment in him. So through Jesus, we can, in each of our situation, in that list, we could say, Lord, I'm going I'm to turn this from, to, from complaint to, to trust in you, to rest in you, to faith in you, to rejoicing. And here's an important emphasis. This has been, in, a, in, uh, in Paul's letter, a focus on the joy of God's people, of the church community. Not just individualistic, he's looking at their partnership together the community, and it's connected. They're shining like stars, blameless, pure, not grumbling, not arguing, is not going to be simply a personal witness, an individual witness, which is true, but a shining forth a witness that comes from their fellowship, their unity, their serving, their humility together. This, this is a collective shining. Grumblers love to be with other grumblers, Right? They're like magnets. They complain to one another. and they, Your complaint can't just stay with you. It has to go to somebody else. It just feeds and it continues. And it's, it's, it's cancerous, toxic. And if you are always complaining and you're always seeing something wrong and, with others and disputing and arguing, it's just, it just fuels those things. That's why James says, why is there quarrels and disputes among you and fights among you? Because you, you want something and you cannot have it. And it's, it's happening in the, the community. Never satisfied, satisfied, never content. It will impact the community. And we have responsibility to one another in this. This is powerful warning from Jerry Bridges. If I complain about the difficult circumstances of my life, I impugn or I, I dispute. I call into question the sovereignty and goodness of God and tempt my listener to do the same. That's startling, convicting to me. What does this mean? It means we all have a part in this. It means, it means I, I, there's times where I'm just going to have to, sister, brother, we need to help you see your complaint in this situation. And we draw attention to the goodness of God and trust in God. We, we guard against complaining, destructive fellowship by guarding our own hearts, but also helping and serving and loving one another as well. So, 
Just as grumbling loves company and destroys, the, the opposite is true. The testimony of God's light, sharing in joyful contentment, helping one another, it, it attracts, it, it serves to that end. That's why it's helpful just to remind each other and to say, not, not just where is everything wrong, but, but where is God at work? Where, what do you need to give thanks for in your life? Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just not seeing it because everything is hard. Let's work together for that. Rejoicing and gladness are part of God's people because we have Christ. And so this is what happens when we do grow in our knowledge. Our joy of Christ, our joy is filled and this leads to contentment, not grumbling and arguing and contagious, a shining of our life with others. And, and this, is, this is ultimately possible because we have a Savior who did, did this. A Savior whose perfect example fulfilled this command as Isaiah 53 tells us, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was crushed for our iniquities. He, our sins were laid on him to rescue us, to cleanse us, and out of the anguish of his soul, many were made righteous and his posture he opened not his mouth. He, he embraced the Father's will. He entrusted himself to the Father's good plan. He did not grumble or complain, even in obedience, obedience that led to death, even death on a cross. It was for the joy that was set before him to endure this because he knew it would save his people and it would be a source of hope, of transformation, and eternal joy for his people. He did that to give us what our hearts most need, that is that is himself. He did not withhold himself. He, the light of his life, the light of life, broke in and shone on our hearts, awakening us from our wicked and perverse ways so that we could, we could experience him. He can, make, he can make us happy in God, in all things, in all things. And one day, on that day, we will share in all his glad joy, for we will be in his presence and, and everything contrary, saints, everything broken right now, everything that feels wrong and loss, all those things that would tempt us now to complain or dispute, it will all be gone. It will all be gone. All the wrong will be gone, and we will, and we will have him. That radical joy and rejoicing awaits for us. And that radical joy can break in to the everyday in all things right now by his grace. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you did not dispute this plan of salvation and rail against that, but you embraced it. The, the suffering that was before you, the, the hard thing that was before you, because you, you knew joy, the joy of your people was was going to be there. But Lord, I'm, I'm guilty. Lord, I'm, I'm guilty of having confessed my sins this week of just the grumbling and murmuring and disputing of what I think is right and wrong or what I deserve. Um, Lord, make our hearts glad in you. Would, you. would you fill us up with a heart to, to have joyful trust and contentment in you, Jesus? So, so that whatever comes our way, we, we can be content. 
Whatever comes our way, Lord, we can, we can walk through it, and, and we know that it is, it is a testimony to a, a world that needs to see Christ. And Lord, we are means to that as believers in this community, so help us to be means of grace, of encouragement, not, not grumbling police, Lord, but, but ones who, who want to serve and love each other, to, to walk in joyful contentment in you. Come, Holy Spirit, help us do that. And Jesus, thank you for not withholding yourself, but giving us yourself so that we could now have joy, gladness, and that one day most fully. Praise your name. Amen.